I am glad that you are here today, and we're going to have a two-part message, and in between, we're going to have a small ensemble come up and sing a song about God's grace. So when we do that, don't think, it's over, and head off to lunch, because <laughs> there's more after that, okay? Just wanted to warn you. So it is a blessing to have you here. It's great to have some folks back that have uh, visited with us just recently, and it's great to have uh, some folks that had never been a guest in our service be here today. Uh, we have some folks out of town. Um, ben Qualls and Teresa and the kids are actually up in Kingman. Uh, so their service is beginning right now, and Ben's preaching up there. Uh, they That church has been looking for a pastor for a while, and next month they have a candidate coming out. So Pray for uh, Calvary Baptist Church up in Kingman. I've been up there to preach, and uh, some others have been up there to preach. Pete Rice was up there just a few weeks ago. And uh, so uh, rejoice that we have been able to help this church, but then also uh, pray that they actually get their own pastor. <laughs> That'd be a better blessing to them. So I hope you have a Bible with you. We're doing a series through the Lord's Supper. And I, it's fine if it's an electronic Bible and... And, uh, did I say the Lord's Supper? You know what? I am so excited that Jeff was paying attention. No. Thank you, Jeff. We've been doing a series on the Lord's model prayer. Okay? And we're in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start there. And we're going to end in Matthew chapter 6. Sorry. It, it, the prayer starts in verse 9 of Matthew 6. We're going to start there and we're going to end there. But in between, we're going to look at some different passages of Scripture. And if it really stresses you to try and find one or look it up on your uh, phone or your iPad or whatever, then don't. Just listen to it. But if you can, I want you to turn if you can, because I want you to see this is the Word of God, not the Word of Terry Green. And so we, we want to clearly focus on what the Lord said. So... Uh, this morning, we're not going to. We have on other weeks had everybody read the Lord's model prayer together. This morning, we're not going to do that, and I'm not going to finish the prayer. We'll finish it next week. But I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9, and, and we're going to begin, and I just realized we're not going to finish it next week either. But anyway, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the Lord taught a model, a way to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we talked about how our God needs to be exalted in our lives. We talked about how we need to do his will right here on the earth. And then uh, give us this day our daily bread. We did that last week, and we broke it down by almost word for word, almost word by word, and looked at different ways that we are desperately dependent on the Lord just for daily life. And then this morning, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We really like the first part of that verse, don't we? Oh, Lord, forgive us. That second part, hmm. It's a little harder for us to forgive others. So we're going to look this morning at overflowing grace. The grace we receive from the Lord then flows out to others so we can share His grace to them. 
overflowing grace. Now, uh, some people like to talk about God's universal grace, His general or universal grace that is given to everyone. I don't know why the PowerPoint, that, that's right, those things are supposed to come up separately and they're not. So, oh well, it's working on its own. It did that last week too. I thought it was just me, but I double checked it this week. General or universal grace. And there's three ways in which this grace is given. The first is to live. You're alive. That's by God's grace. He created your life. You say, no, no, I'm the biological product of my parents. Okay, yes. Who superintended that process? Who linked the chromosomes? Who made it happen? Because there's lots of husbands and wives who don't have kids. And it's kind of funny sometimes husband and wives have kids that don't look at all alike. Like when we were growing up, I, mean, I was pale white boy. And by the way, those of you who have, have darker skin, uh, in creation, Adam and Eve probably were brown skin because if you begin with that, then you are able to get all of the skin tones. But if you start pasty white like me, you end up pasty white. Uh, so I told the kids in Trek, those of you who have darker skin, you can turn to the white skin kids in here and tell them, hey, white people did not exist till after sin. You can share that with them. It is, it's a truth, okay? So, but to live, to have life, this is a universal gift of God, His grace, because you have life and you are a creation of God. Secondly, oh, sorry, um, there's another part of this to live, is that because you're a sinner who deserves death, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. You're a sinner who deserves death. All have sinned and the wages of sin is death. So you have his gift of grace because you have life, but you have his gift of grace to live because he lets you keep living when you deserve death. That's his grace. So secondly is to experience some blessings in this life. Everybody has some blessings in this life. Atheists have some blessings from God. Matthew 6.45 says, God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain to the just and to the unjust. So that God gives some blessings to everybody who's ever lived. There's some measure of blessing. That's part of the universal grace. And then to have the opportunity to know God. We, we have that opportunity. Uh, Romans 1 teaches that God in his universal grace gave everyone the light of creation. That we can walk out and look at the stars and just be amazed at the awesomeness of God. There had to be a creator. It's amazing to me. There are a lot of scientists who are creationists, but it amazes me that there's some who are not. Because they look at this amazingly ordered universe and say it all happened from an explosion. Ever been around an explosion? It doesn't create order and balance and principles and systems that all have to be operating simultaneously. It can't do that. And so um, 
We, we look at creation and it tells us there must be a God. And then we look in, at conscience on the inside of us. Humanity all around the world. There are certain things that humans recognize. This is right. This is wrong. Because the conscience that God put in all of us that's directed to steer ourselves toward him. And then we have an opportunity to know God because he has given us creation, because he has given us um, conscience, and because he has given us his word. Now, some people teach universal grace incorrectly. They say that God will eventually take away everyone's sin and we'll all end up in heaven because God is just this kind and gracious God. Uh, the Oak Ridge Boys, uh, I shared this before, but they were a Christian group and then became a country group. And they sing a song, and it's a, it starts out with a little boy dealing with his father. And then that little boy becomes a dad, and he's dealing with his son. And then that man becomes an, uh, an old man, and he, now he dies. And now he's up at, in heaven or at the pearly gates, and he's not sure whether he can come in. And he hears God say, come on in, you belong to me. There's a little bit of right in every wrong. There's a little bit of me in you. Okay, that's a cute song. But it's really bad theology. That is, by the way, the theology of the contemporary church, at least in America, but I think around the world. The theology of the contemporary church says God loves everybody too much to send anybody to hell. That's not what the Bible says. That's not even what Jesus said when he was on the earth. See, the word opportunity. Everyone has an opportunity to know God, but not a guarantee. Universal grace does not mean that God's full grace is granted to everyone. It does not mean that no one will face damnation. Because Jesus specifically said some would. And the Bible specifically says many will face damnation. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the apostles and prophets taught. That's not what the Bible says. The truth is everyone has an opportunity to be saved. If you've read in the book of Exodus, at the beginning of the book, uh, uh, when Moses first talks to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, uh, who is God that I should uh, honor him? And from that point on, he never had another chance. God hardened his heart. And in the sovereignty of God, he had one chance. Everybody has a chance. And he rejected his chance to be saved. And he never had another one. Now, I heard more than 4,000 sermons and Bible classes before I got saved. Why did God show so much grace toward me and not toward Pharaoh? Listen, he's God, right? He's in charge, not us. I don't know why, but I do know that everyone has a chance. And if I didn't believe that, I would have never had kids. If I believed that God could preordain my kids to hell before they would have a chance to be saved, I wouldn't have had kids. I just couldn't have done it. Praise the Lord, all my kids are Christians and all serving the Lord. And uh, not full-time ministry, but they're all actively in their church trying to help strengthen Christians and influence unsaved people. What a huge blessing that is. 
But universal grace means that everyone will have an opportunity to know God, but it does not mean that everyone will trust Jesus Christ and be saved. It does not mean that. So general or universal grace is applied to everyone, and it brings blessings in this life, but it does not bring salvation. So you ready for a kind of funny word? The first time I heard this word, I thought it was a joke, but it's really a theological term that is used, okay? Salvific grace. Salvific? Well, it, doesn't that sound weird? Sounds like a great theologian. Let's make up a word. Let's call it salvific. That will impress people. Uh, no, it's just salvation. It comes from the same root, salvation, salvific. Salvific grace means grace that provides our salvation. It, salvation is not universal. Salvation is possible only for those who receive Jesus Christ as Savior. So let's just be brutally honest the way the Bible is. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you have not specifically asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and be your Savior, and you have not trusted Jesus Christ as the one and only way of salvation, then according to the Bible, if you died today, you would go straight to hell. That's God's word. But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. So he gives everyone that opportunity. And so we're going to look at some verses of Scripture that bring us to salvation, that encourage us and help us along the path to knowing Christ. These verses teach salvific grace. That when you read the Word of God, you understand the Word of God, and you have the light of conscience and the light of, of creation and then the light of God's Word, and you put it together and you ask Christ to be your Savior, you will be saved. So let's look at some of those verses. Just to be reminded of God's grace. Because how many people have sinned? All right, very briefly, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. All right, some of you enjoyed that way too much. What are the wages of sin? What do you deserve? All right, now, if somebody just told you you were a sinner, say to yourself, I deserve death. But because of God's grace, he makes a way we can be saved. Take your Bibles and look in Romans chapter 10, your Bibles, your tablets, whatever. Romans chapter 10. I, I have tried to preach from a tablet. I can only do it when I'm outside or something and don't have a place where I can hold my Bible because um, Romans chapter 3, when I, I, I'm always afraid it's going to turn off right when I need it and, and then <laughs> I'll, be in, I'll be stuck. So um, Romans chapter 3, I, I'm going to go ahead and begin reading there. Chapter 3, I said 10 first. And then I corrected it to chapter 3, and now I've corrected it to chapter 3 again. So if you're still in 10, we'll get there eventually. You can just wait if you want. But, yeah. <laughs> Romans chapter, you know, I told the church when I was candidating here more than 19 years ago, I said, if you're looking for a guy who always says it, exact, says it exactly right, <laughs> keep looking. <laughs> 
Because I just don't say it always the same way, okay? Let's go back to God's Word because it's always accurate. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there is how many righteous? None. No, not one. Not the Pope. Not even the Virgin Mary. Not one. None righteous. No, not one. Verse 23. Why aren't we righteous? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We like to think of it this way. We like to think God has this scale, right? And, and so, you know, we put, we put Bill on this scale. You say, which Bill? I don't know. Anyone know a Bill? You put Bill on this scale. And, and what you want to think is, if Bill's good works outweigh his bad, shoot straight to heaven. But if his bad outweighs the good, whoops. See, that's, that's the way the world likes to think. If you're good enough, you get to heaven. But God said he has a measuring stick. And, and God's grace is so high above us, we all fall short. So even if you're a couple feet taller than the tallest person in this room, we all fall short. Because we've all sinned. All of sin that falls short of the glory of God. Look in chapter 6. We mentioned part of this earlier. God's grace, He lets you live when you deserve death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But, oh, what a wonderful word. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not in Buddhism, not in Muslim, not in Judaism, not in a so-called Christianity that doesn't put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's only by trusting Jesus Christ that you can be saved. Nobody else. I'm really glad my best life is not now. I'm looking forward to a greater life to come. Look back in chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates or commendeth his, love, his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God is outside of time. You say, well, how can the death of one person on a cross 2,000 years ago make such a difference today? Because God is outside of time. And so God took the blood of Jesus Christ and he made it available to all people of all time. And anyone who believes Christ, receives him as Savior, trusts him, they can be saved and God will pronounce the penalty of their sin paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because God demonstrates and commendeth and showed clearly his love for everybody. You say, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? Look at the cross. What did a loving God do so people wouldn't have to go to hell? And he made it so simple. We have people in this room who, when they were three years old, received Jesus as Savior. Others who did it as teenagers, some in their 20s and 30s and 40s. The oldest man I ever led to Christ so far, 78 years old when he trusted Christ. And we all come exactly the same way. We put our faith and trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive our sins and be our savior. 
Now, there's another verse in Romans that we're going to come to uh, in just a minute. Those of you who've been so eager to get to Romans 10, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, but I'm going to read a verse from John chapter 14, and then I will join you in Romans chapter 10. In John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Say, well, that's narrow-minded. I like Cal Thomas was a Christian, um, what did editorialist. He wrote a lot of articles and stuff over the years. And Cal Thomas said, people would tell him, you're narrow-minded. And Cal Thomas said, I'd just tell him, wait till you meet God. You're going to want me back. God is so narrow-minded. He said, if you don't believe in Jesus, you have no hope. You have damnation in your future. No hope at all unless you put your trust in Jesus Christ. By His grace, He makes it available to everybody. But His salvific grace, grace, grace that provides salvation, comes only to those who believe in Jesus. Are you in Romans chapter 10? Yeah. He even tells us how to receive it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, and you know, this is something that I have done when I'm talking with people. I'll put their name in here. So, you know, back when we were talking about Bill and waiting of his sins and all that, we, so if we put his name here, it would say that if Bill confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in his heart that God has raised him from the dead, Bill will be saved. For with the heart, Bill would believe to righteousness, and with the mouth, confession would be made to salvation. We can put anybody's name there. You can put uh, Bill, Bob, and Harry. You can put anybody's name in there. If you will do this, then you can be saved. But this is not a mantra. This is not, if I say the right words, I get to go to heaven. This is really believe in your heart. And then... Combine your belief with your words, put it together, and God said, that's what I require. Now, aren't you glad he didn't say, you have to give a million bucks? Aren't you glad he didn't say, you have to crawl on your knees across broken glass for three miles? Aren't you glad he didn't say, you have to burn enough candles? We would have burned our houses down trying to get saved. There's nothing you can do. In fact, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. If you can, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Back to our illustration, you know, if some dude named Bill thinks, well, if I do enough good works, I get to go up to heaven. 
No, it says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if you could earn your way to heaven, then Dawson, he's going to heaven. He could say, hey, I'm going to heaven. I'm Dawson Pettick, heaven bound. But see, we don't have any bragging rights for heaven. We don't. When we get to heaven, and I don't believe the Bible says that we're going to stand at the pearly gates before Peter. My Bible says, absent the body present with the Lord, not outside the gate in front of Peter. But even if we did stand at the gate in front of Peter, we'd just say, in my hand, no price I bring, simply to his cross I claim. I have trusted Christ, and I am saved. And the Father would say, Welcome home. Come on in. You belong to me because you believed and trusted in my son. That's salvific grace. And then there's familial grace. Familial grace because you belong to God's family. In John 1, uh, it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then it goes on to say that God has given us the capacity to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on His name. In 1 John 3, 3, it talks about uh, that we have become the sons of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18, God said, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. I should have told you to mark your spot in Romans. We're going to go back to Romans 8. If you can turn there, Romans 8. Romans 8, beginning in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, it's not necessarily part of this message, but when you receive Christ as Savior, the Scripture said, God has the Holy Spirit come and live inside you. And so when you receive the Spirit of God, you are adopted and become a son of God, and that's part of your salvation. It's not you get saved and then later you pray for the Holy Spirit and He comes. You get saved and you get the Holy Spirit at exactly the same time. And, sorry, I forgot what verse I was in. 16? 14. Okay. Uh, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And that doesn't mean Daddy, Father. It means Father in the common language of the people, and it means Father in the formal language of writing. Uh, It's one's in Aramaic, one's in Greek. Abba in Aramaic, Father. Okay, Abba, Father, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of whom? The children of God. How do we become the children of God? We're all the children of God because God created us and God's in us and we're all his kids. Is that what it says? No, we become his kids when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Verse 28. Here's another familial grace that is only for those who believe. 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestinated. Here's what he plans for you, that you would be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He showers his grace upon you so that no matter what happens in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he works it together for good because that's something he does for his kids, just like we would like to do for our kids, but we don't have the capacity. God does for his kids because he has the grace to make it happen. We've got a small ensemble that's going to come a so- sing a song about God's overflowing grace. Overflowing grace. Matthew chapter 6, we start at verse 12. Forgive us our debts. Well, we spent a little bit of time looking at that. And then it says, as we forgive our debtors. We are the recipients of God's grace. We receive his universal grace. By life and by his blessing, we receive his salvific grace when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. We receive his familial grace uh, after our salvation and we're part of his family and he ministers his grace to us. But we don't just receive his grace, we're supposed to pass it along. So how do we do that? Well, God gives you a little magic heart wand. And you walk down the street with it and you run up to people and say, forgiven, 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 forgiven. (laughs) Somebody said I felt robbed last week because Lynn wasn't here for me to pick on her. So, hey, hey, Jim, forgiven. Ah. This is my granddaughter's, by the way. It's not really mine. They haven't noticed it missing, though, so maybe I'll keep it. Is that what we do? Do we just run down the street saying, forgiven? And, and you know, a clerk in the store, and and she makes a goof, and, and then she corrects the goof, and you say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. Please, please don't do that. There's enough weird looking Christians out there. We don't need to add to that number. They call themselves Christian and they don't act like Christian. And sometimes they're scary people. In fact, the scariest people I have ever met have called themselves Christians. Look at history. Some of the things done in the name of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would be appalled. His goal is to show grace. He wants people to receive him not die violently because they refuse to put their faith and trust in him. That's not God's plan. So so how do we do it? How do we forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? How do we have this overflowing grace, this grace that comes into us and then just flows out from us? How do we get that? Well, some things that we do. 
not the magic wand. Please don't do that. There's a reason we don't videotape these services. But uh, being one of the ways you do it is being Christian toward others. Now, what do I mean by being Christian? Christ-like. Act like Jesus would toward people. You say, oh, wait, I know how Jesus acted. He showed love to everybody. Is that true? It is true. But he didn't show love the same way to everybody. To some people, he showed love by saying, I don't condemn you. Now, don't don't do it again. Don't go and sin no more. To others, he showed love by saying, repent, you generation of vipers. They needed to turn from their false faith and trust the one true faith, personal faith in Jesus Christ. So he showed love to everybody, but he didn't show it the same way to everybody. There was a time when he looked at Peter, who was his good buddy. Peter was not just one of the 12. He was one of the three. And Peter was the one who would end up leading the church in the early church. And he did not become the first pope. Uh, he, but Peter was a leader in the early church Peter would preach and thousands of people would come to know Christ as Savior. And Jesus looked Peter in the face and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter was not following Christ. So sometimes Jesus' love brought great rebuke. Sometimes his love brought tenderness. He applied his love and grace appropriately to the circumstances. Now let me tell you, there's some parents out there who need to show God's grace to some kids who need discipline. They don't need coddled, they need discipline. And when we coddle them, we hurt them and we hurt our culture. And we see the evidence of that every day. Being Christian toward others, showing kindness toward people, even when you disagree. My dad, when we were kids, had this nurturing phrase that he would use to challenge us to righteous living in Jesus. When we did something wrong, he would say something like, you stupid, idiotic, knuckle-headed, lame-brained moron. And it it was kind of a joke. He, He really would. It was kind of a joke. So one day, and we were, my brothers and I were adults, and we were with dad, and we were in El Paso, Texas at the Sun Bowl, and dad did something, said something that was not right. And without coaching, without planning, without ready, one, two, three, go, my brothers and I all burst into as loud as we could, you stupid idiotic knuckle-headed lame. And then the four of us all started laughing. I'm pretty certain no one thought we were Christians. And everyone thought we were drunk. When you show kindness, you still rebuke people if they need it. If they work for you, they're under your authority. You know, we come to Awana, and when kids act up, we say, hey, that's a one count. We don't say, oh, Jesus loves you. Have fun. Some churches do, and usually their Awana ministries only last a couple years. Ours has been a strong gospel ministry in this town for 30 years. Why? Because... We show God's grace appropriately. 
We show kindness. We help people. I told you before, I was in the grocery store and I saw this little lady and she was reaching up trying to get something. I couldn't see what it was. And I just saw this lady. She couldn't reach it. I said, would you like some help? She said, oh yes, please. Can you get that down and put it in my cart? I said, sure. I looked up. It's a case of Budweiser. And I said, you really want that in your cart? She said, yes. I said, okay. I lifted it down, put it in her cart. I said, I don't drink it, but I'll help you. We show kindness to people. How many of you have noticed in our world today, there's a few hurting people out there? Anybody notice that? They need somebody to show kindness and love. See, someone once said church is supposed to be where we come for healing. And it's more like a hospital. And, and somebody else said the Christian army is the only army that bayonets its own wounded. One of the ways we receive this awesome grace from God and we allow it to overflow out into other people is we show kindness to people. We show grace and mercy. Someone has said there are two reasons why people don't go to church. Number one, they do not know any Christians. Number two, they do know Christians. And these people who call themselves Christians out there in the community, screaming and hollering about politics and screaming and hollering about this and going to public meetings and being a public nuisance, that's not the Christianity of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke clearly, dogmatically, when theology was at stake. But he showed kindness to people who were struggling and hurting. We share his grace in specific ways by modeling it, by showing kindness but also through evangelistic outreach and discipleship. Evangelist Greg Laurie reminds believers that Jesus did not say merely to go into all the world and be a good example. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Share the gospel message with people. I have friends who are not Christians, some are in a church that uses the name of Jesus Christ, but doesn't teach the biblically revealed Jesus Christ of Scripture. They talk about Jesus and Satan being brothers, and that's not biblical at all. And so when I meet with that person, if I don't at some point in our relationship with each other tell them the truth of God's Word, even though they don't agree with me, I have to share it because they're on their way to hell and they don't know it. I remember several years ago up at the high school when one of our kids, we still had a couple of kids in the high school then and it was the old high school uh, up uh, further up Treckle. And uh, when uh, w one of their friends was Muslim and he wanted to ask me questions about the Bible and he wanted to argue with me that Muslims and Christians are following the same God. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says 
We put our faith and trust only in Jesus Christ. And Muslims don't do that. And there's a big difference. And I'm not trying to bash any other faith. But if we don't at some point share the truth of our faith, then we're not doing what Jesus told us to do. So his overflowing grace means we're willing to share the truth. We're willing to speak up. We're willing to share the scripture. And we're willing to listen to other people as they have questions. And we, you are not supposed to be God's answer man. There's a guy in Phoenix who calls himself God's answer man, has a radio spot. Tune in to God's answer man. I'm not God's answer man. I might know more of the Bible than you because I've studied it longer than you. But the only one who knew it perfectly was Jesus. And we just share what we can to help people. And you can't force someone to be a Christian. But you have to give them an opportunity. That's your responsibility. So you strive to bring Christ up in the conversation. How do you do that? Well, I've done that at the doctor's office. When I've shared, isn't it nice that medical science finally caught up to the Bible? And that always messes with their brains a little. And I tell them, medical science used to bleed people to make them healthy. Yet the Bible said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Medical science finally caught up. Now when somebody's really sick, they don't take more blood out. They give them a transfusion. God had it right all along. If the doctors had followed the scripture, they would have known. And it gives me an opportunity to share about Christ. I'm not saying you need to practice that and do that. But you need to do something. We can try and share appropriate scriptures that would help them in certain areas of their life. Say, you've got somebody comes to you, a friend comes to you, and he's saying, man, I'm really struggling in my relationship with my wife. You could open the scripture and share from Ephesians 5 or 1 Peter 3 where it talks about marriage relationships, 1 Corinthians 7, and you could give them some counsel from the Word of God that could help in that specific circumstance, and it might open a door to eventually lead them to Christ. But we share some of the verses and some of the concepts that we have learned, um, and when we discussed uh, like some of the verses that we looked at in God's salvific grace, we share that with people. Now, don't tell them, this is God's salvific grace. Hey, I use that term today because sometimes you'll be reading someone and they'll use a term and the people get all impressed by a theological term. I wanted you to understand, it, it's not a big scary word. It's a little word. All it means is the grace God gives us to be saved. And you can share those verses that we've all sinned that we deserve death, that God in his grace and love allowed Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin, that if we just believe and trust in him, we can be saved. You, you can put all that together. You can share them. Share a little bit. Don't try and take them from A to Z in one breath. Don't take them from the beginning of the creation to the end of the days. 
Just give them a little. That they can add to what they've already known. Uh, like a line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, the Old Testament says. So Jesus said one sows another, or Paul said one sows another waters, God gives the increase. And when the rich young ruler and Jesus was witnessing to him, and he turned away sorrowful, Jesus didn't run him down. Say, wait a minute, boy, you got to sit and listen to this. He let him go. Hopefully, that young man later came back and trusted Christ. Hopefully, we'll see him in heaven. But you can't force people to be saved. Back in Matthew, we looked in chapter 6. I'm going to read a couple of verses from chapter 5. Jesus said, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So we come back to chapter 6 where we began, and in verse 14 it says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Overflowing grace. We receive this awesome grace from the Lord and it flows through us and out that other people might begin to receive God's grace through you. When I, when I pastored in Sawarita for a few years before the Lord led us here, there was a cranky lady. Aren't you glad we don't have any of those? There was a cranky lady. She was. And she would always, favorite hymn night, she would always request the same song. Make me a blessing. And the song leader would always look at me like, oh, I wish. <laughs> hey, listen, there's a new bulletin. Tells a little about the church, has some announcements. There's a little card. There's two parts to this card. One part's for those who are new to our service. We'd love to have, if you're a guest here for the first, we'd love to know a little bit about you. We want you to know a little bit about us. So we have that. Uh, and then on the other side, it's share a testimony, ask for prayer, make a commitment. So today, if there may be something you want to write down a prayer request, you, you maybe want to write down a praise for us to know about, but then uh, there's also that third square down. It says, this week, I will be aware of God's grace to me, and I will show his grace to others. I really would love everyone in this room to check that box. And then I would also love everyone in this room who has not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior to say, I'm going to do that today. And when we start singing, you can turn to a neighbor and say, please show me how I can trust Jesus. Or come to the front and say, please show me how I can know Jesus Christ as my Savior. As we're going to, Benjamin's going to come and he's going to lead us in. Make me a blessing.